welcome to Mind Money Balance, the no guilt, no shame podcast to help you get your mind and money in balance. I'm your host, Lindsay. I'm a financial therapist and coach, woman of color, and popcorn connoisseur. I am so glad you're here. Let's go. My guest today is Stephanie Gardner-Wright. Stephanie is a licensed clinical social worker and psychotherapist who specializes in teaching highly sensitive people, also known as HSPs, how to stop putting their own needs dead last and start feeling centered and confident instead. She enjoys helping sensitive people reframe their sensitivity as one of the greatest assets that they have instead of something that they resent about themselves. I met Stephanie when we worked together inside my group coaching program, Grow a Profitable Practice from the Inside Out, and I wanted to bring her on so that you could learn from a person who has a slightly different temperament as an HSP and some of the roadblocks that she ran into with money and running her practice and give you another look at the ways in which money can show up depending on who we are and how we get information about money. So I am so excited for you to listen into our conversation. And with that, let's go. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me on the Mind Money Balance podcast today. I'm so happy to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's funny because we are only, what, like a half hour, hour from each other. But with the pandemic, we've only met over Zoom. So hopefully, you know, this summer we can actually connect in person. But it's good to see you via Zoom again. (laughs) Likewise. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So tell everybody a little bit about your relationship with money. And you can start as early as you want. If you want to start in childhood, if you're more comfortable kind of talking about your relationship with money as an adult, we can start there too. Sure. So yeah, my awareness of money definitely started early. My parents were more on the frugal end of things, definitely were pretty into money literacy for myself and also my brother. So I was the type of kid that was saving my allowance in a piggy bank, you know, saved all my Christmas and and birthday money up for things that I really wanted to get as a, as a younger kid. And then, you know, had summer jobs starting around age, age 10 or 11 or so. So money was definitely something that we talked about growing up and, and it was maybe the attitude more of we save, we tend to save money more than spend it. When did you know that it was a little out of the ordinary for your parents to include or talk about money conversations? And the reason that I ask is anytime I have somebody who's like, oh yeah, financial literacy was just a part of the norm growing up. They almost always have this aha moment where they realize their their parents or caregivers were a little bit of outliers. Do you have any mm-hmm. memories of being like, oh wow, we, hmm, this is a little different. Yeah. I think a couple just vague memories from kind of the college age years where, you know, I just be, would just be talking about whatever uh, with friends or acquaintances and and they might casually say something like, oh yeah, you know, I've, I've never had a job. And, and for me, that was a really different experience, you know, because for me, it was, it was never really an option that I wouldn't work. That was just kind of part of my family's value system around money is is kind of having that template. So it was a very different world to experience. Oh, maybe there are some people that 
maybe by choice would not have a job in college or for some other reasons. So that was definitely one memory that I have. And then I think just in terms of early in my career as a social worker, doing some very, very social work direct types of work with older people at that point in terms of assessing their financial resources and really being aware of really the systemic issues around that with the access to financial resources that the elderly might have and then race issues as well as maybe some of the financial literacy pieces that that might not have been there depending on the person. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up Research shows that older adults tend to overestimate their financial capabilities, which can kind of get them into trouble later in life. And with the increase in online and phone-based scams, more older adults are more susceptible to that. So I imagine you probably saw some of that as well. How did your relationship with money in terms of some of these values like being frugal is important, saving money for a rainy day is important, working is important, how did those things show up, if at all, as you moved into private practice? I've definitely been thinking about that lately. I think it showed up in a lot of positive ways, but maybe some of the anticipated downside for me was maybe cemented by some of the attitudes that we tend to hear a lot in grad school, at least as social workers. So, you know, a lot of priming for for working in lower pay jobs where where maybe the attitude is to take as many clients as possible, to serve as many people as possible. And not that there's anything inherently wrong with that, but for me, the model of seeing as many people is not for great for me and, and my nervous system. And so I noticed a tendency to maybe overload myself with people thinking that I should uh, be as busy as possible or maybe be making as much of an income as possible. And those are things for me that were not the most helpful. So you're saying that working very long hours, seeing a bunch of clients was not a good fit for you, but you did it anyway because you felt like you had to in order to be a good social worker. Help me understand Mm -hmm. what kept you going at that pace if it didn't really sit well with your nervous system. Yeah. Well, there was definitely a lot of expectation of Mm -hmm. this is just the way it is, Uh, you know, especially in an agency setting that you would be at 100% productivity, meaning, you know, your 40 hours or your 30 hours, whatever that was, would be all direct client hours which is really tough with the type of work that we do. And when did you start to maybe have a shift to start to maybe respect the signals your body was sending you that was saying, hey, this is too much. Seeing this many clients or working this many hours isn't a good fit. When did you start to honor some of those signals your body was sending to you? So I really experienced healing crisis at, at that point where I had to pay attention to the cues that my body was giving me and had to kind of go back to the drawing board and decide for myself that, you know, maybe it didn't mean that I was a bad therapist if I was seeing less clients and and also that that might be a decision financially at that point that I would need to make to see a few less clients, which has been something that I've been shifting in terms of now being in private practice. Can we zoom out for a second? You said as a highly sensitive person, if somebody hasn't heard that term before, can you give us just a high level overview of what you mean when you say that? Yeah, absolutely. So the term highly sensitive person, the scientific name for that without getting too much into the nuts and bolts, it's also known as sensory processing sensitivity. So one of several 
theories. It's, there's been research on this formally since the 90s, but there's different groups of sensitivity. So there's research showing that there are people that have high sensitivity to environmental stimuli, people with medium sensitivity and low sensitivity. So people that are highly sensitive typically are people that are very deep thinkers. One of the key aspects is being a deep processor. So meaning that all information that's coming in from from the outside world, as well as all the information from inside your body and your brain are things that you're very deeply processing at a deeper level than maybe some of the other sensitivities. And it's not a diagnosis. It's not anything special either necessarily. It's a completely neutral temperamental trait present from birth. So when you say that a person who is highly sensitive processes things more deeply, what are some of the outcomes of of kind of processing the inner and outer senses um, or signals that so many of us are getting? Mm-hmm. So one of the upsides to it is that they tend to be very intuitive, very insightful about things because they might make some connections that are not typical with connecting information, but part of the downside can be being easily burnt out or or be easily overstimulated because the nervous system of a highly sensitive person is more finely tuned than someone who who might be non-highly sensitive. Mm. I'm curious, you don't have to answer this, but I'm curious if being a highly sensitive person might change the way in which you look at money just from in terms of like how often you're, you're logging in to manage it. I wonder if Mm. that idea of looking at your numbers every month feels really overwhelming or doing your billing might be, be a lot. I'm I'm just curious, Mm -hmm. do you notice any overlaps in the way that you engage with your money and maybe having to make some adjustments because you're a highly sensitive person? So uh First, more generally speaking, I don't have any research to back this sure, up. Sure, sure, just, just anecdotal. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just thinking. I'm thinking that probably that probably is a common thing for highly sensitive yeah. people in general because we are more easily overstimulated, and there's so much. You know, there's so much emotionally around money, yeah. um, and personally, I've definitely felt very overwhelmed or overstimulated by things about money in the past. Mm. And I've found that automating as many things as possible works really well for me. It allows me to kind of close that open tab in my brain and just know that um, that's good to go. Of course, I still check in on things, but having as much automated as possible so it can run smoothly without me checking on it constantly has been really helpful for me personally. Yeah, I love that idea. I think that's probably connected. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I love that idea of having additional automation. When I work with clients who have a lot of anxiety, I tend to recommend doing automations or perfectionistic tendencies. I recommend doing automations. And the reason for that is it kind of exposes them to this idea that it's it's taken care of and they could still check in on it, but they don't have to check again and again, mm-hmm. which is different than being a highly sensitive person. But the automation wins again in terms of being a, a great thing that I tend to recommend. So outside of automating your finances, finances, what are some, some maybe tips or tools or resources that you've found to be helpful in managing your money, either personally or or professionally in your practice? 
Yeah. So, so something personally that I full disclosure, I don't currently use it, but I've used it a lot in the past, especially when I was trying to pay down some consumer debt, you know, early in my career, things like that. I used the mint app and mm-hmm. I loved that for, I'm sure probably a lot of your listeners are already familiar with that, but I loved that for just getting very aware of what the general trends were with where my money was going. And again, it was something that I didn't have to necessarily get very nitty gritty about. So it was more a a help than an additional stress, which um, I found really valuable. Currently, in terms of practice, I just try to keep things as as simple as possible. I'm I'm a one woman show at the moment. So Mm -hmm. I don't really need um, too much. So I use an EHR um, and like an electronic system for for as many things as possible. and, And again, just trying to automate in general as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I can imagine again, that having those systems in place mm-hmm. just helps to make your life easier. I'm curious if you ran into this little hiccup, a lot of clients that I work with who self-identify as being frugal or being savers, they want to DIY things in their practice because they think that it will save them money, but mm-hmm. they get so kind of tunnel visioned in doing it themselves and saving money that they don't have the ability or maybe need some guidance on zooming out to say, yes, say this EHR costs $45 a month, but it's going to save you time. Did you run into any of those kind of hiccups of like, I want to be a saver. I want to do it myself. And then, oh my gosh, the HSP side of me needs to outsource or needs to automate. I think if I had done this five years ago, I would have a lot more, Yeah, um, but sure. I, have, I have a lot more. I just have a lot more awareness at this point. I'm not saying things are perfect because they're certainly sure, not, sure. but I have a lot more awareness at this point of, especially with being a highly sensitive person that, you know, 50 bucks a month, for example, you know, for an EHR is, is well worth it to me mm-hmm. to have less stress and trading less of my time to mm-hmm. wage war with that. So not too much right now. I think for me, it's been pretty simple to to be able to look at what is the potential benefit of doing this, knowing that if if this is a recurring monthly cost that isn't working for me, I typically can revisit that and, and make another decision, which is is hugely relieving to frame it that way for me. Yes. That last part, I think, is so important for so many folks that you can make a financial decision and change your mind. Like in most cases, our financial decisions are not permanent, meaning you can sign up for an EHR and then change your mind, Mm -hmm. or you can try to do the billing on your own and then hire a virtual assistant. These decisions that a lot of folks tend to get stuck on aren't necessarily permanent. Of course, there are some money decisions that have bigger consequences, but in terms of running your practice, it sounds like you were able to remind yourself of of the ability to change course. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, going back five years ago, you said, you know, five years ago, my answer might've been different. For folks who might have been where you were five years ago, what was going on then that might've made it hard for you to spend the money on things that are well worth Mm -hmm. it for you now? Yeah. Well, five years ago for me, I was in an agency setting. So was definitely, definitely a lot more financially strapped, you know, to the point where I wasn't able to make a full student loan payment on my mm-hmm. monthly student loans, um, which mm-hmm. that's a soapbox that I'm going to save for for another day. But I think that level of financial stress of of having to to very carefully watch things more 
took a lot of mental energy yeah. to where I wasn't able to think a new thought or to say, oh, you know, this is maybe a new possibility that I could try. Mm-hmm. It really felt like I had that tunnel vision, like you were talking about of, I have limited options, you know, was my truth at that point. And I think it was hard to see beyond the financial anxiety five years ago. Yeah. And it's such a common experience. I think, especially as therapists, so many therapists come out of graduate school with student loans, then they have to do some sort of internship or practicum for two to four years, depending on their licensure, where they're not being paid very well. It's incredibly stressful, not to manage that they are taking care of a people's mental and emotional well-being. It's a hard Mm -hmm area to be in. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that you are now kind of past that point of feeling really stressed out financially and that you're able to say, you know, the $50 is worth it for my nervous system and for the peace of mind that I get by, by paying for this. But for folks who are out there listening to where and might be in the position that Stephanie was in five years ago, you are definitely not alone. It can be incredibly stressful in there. Mm-hmm is, you know, Stephanie and I are probably very similar, similarly minded in terms of what we think about the the state of student loans in this country. But yeah, as I'll, I'll follow her lead and, and let that one go for right now. What about the pivot into private practice from agency work? What sort of mindset stuff came up for you as you were starting to make that decision to go all in on, on your own practice? Mm-hmm. Well, as you and I have talked about, you know, a little before, you know, in, in our work together on, mm-hmm. on money mindset, you know, specifically for private practitioners, the things that really came up loud and clear for me were feeling some guilt about a sense of leaving mm-hmm. people behind. Mm-hmm. I really struggled with that for many months. And if I'm being honest, probably many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what would you say to somebody who's also struggling with that guilt of leaving somebody behind. Because again, I, I don't think you're alone in that experience. I know that I've had similar, I had similar feelings when I was leaving um, my group practice to, to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there are several things. And again, this could this could vary for everyone. This was just kind of my own process. One was that I I can't see everyone. I can't be everything for everyone. And I'm always going to disappoint someone and maybe that's okay. You know, I can't perfectly hold space for all of my clients always. And that was really something that was hard for me to come to that conclusion. But I think Mm -hmm. that there's been some peace in that too. And this may not be everyone's truth, but again, this was what I came to is that maybe for me, there was a little bit of a savior complex in that. Mm. And maybe that was not the most helpful dynamic to feel that that I couldn't do what I needed to do for my own life because my clients might need that support. Mm. And it's been a really good opportunity to model a healthy goodbye. You know, that, that we've done good work together, that I've appropriately referred people as needed to people that I trust that will give good care if they don't want to or, or for some reason can't come with me. And that goodbyes can be sad, yes, and, and they can be bittersweet, but that they can also be filled with closure and, and a sense of fulfillment too. Mm-hmm. I think you're so right that we don't we don't have a ton of opportunities in our life to have healthy goodbyes and healthy goodbyes can still feel hard, mm-hmm. but it is an important transition in our lives. And, and what I kind of heard there, Stephanie, is that even though maybe logically you knew that it was the wise thing to do from a financial and an energy standpoint for you to leave and go into private practice, 
it didn't mean that it was just one day you woke up and ripped the bandaid and, and all was well. It sounds like you had a very normal experience of going through the various stages and waves of emotion that anybody would have when moving from one job to another or from being employed by somebody else or in a contracting position with somebody else into your own practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So before we wrap up, are there any other money tips or tricks that you think would be helpful for listeners to know that you've picked up along the way? So this one is is a little maybe less practical and, and maybe some more mindset related stuff. But I think self-compassion has been mm-hmm. such a big thing for me of we've all probably made money mistakes. I've certainly made at least a few myself couple of them felt pretty big. Mm-hmm. And being able to move through the shame of that and still feel like it was okay to offer compassion to myself and it was okay for me to mess up and and move on and do something different next time, that has been huge. I love that. And I think you're so right that so many people make financial mistakes and they they internalize it as I'm bad with money or I'm not mm-hmm. to be trusted with money or all, all sorts of stuff the way that we you know, we process things in our mind. So I appreciate you saying, look, I'm a human. I've made mistakes. I was hard on myself and practicing just extending a little bit of compassion to myself helped to move the needle to feel better about making financial decisions moving forward. Mm-hmm. Great. And Stephanie, if people are interested in either working with you or learning more about you and your practice, where would you like them to go? Sure. So my website is stephaniegardnerwright.com. No hyphen, just to keep it simple for people. And then my social handles are on Instagram at stephaniegardnerwright and the same on TikTok at stephaniegardnerwright. I've got some exciting things coming in the works. So um, stay tuned if highly sensitive person stuff interests you at all. Okay. Awesome. And all of Stephanie's social links and her website will be linked in the show notes. So if you are driving and you are unable to jot down where her handles are, don't worry. You can come back and revisit this episode and make sure to get in touch with her there. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing with the listeners a little bit more about your journey. Thanks so much, Lindsay. It was great to be here. a therapist who resonated with anything that my guest Stephanie Gardner-Wright shared today, then I would encourage you to think about joining my group coaching program, Grow a Profitable Practice from the Inside Out. As Stephanie mentioned in her interview, she said that we had worked together and what she was referencing was her time in my group coaching program. And Really, the point of this group coaching program is to help therapists really imagine what their world would be like if they didn't have to sweat when they took time off, if they could say yes to aligned clients with ease, and having others to talk money with. You know, Stephanie shared how important it was for her to be around other folks who weren't, you know, preaching the gospel of burning themselves into the ground and seeing a million clients at once. You know, she got physically ill when she was trying to do all of the things and see all of the people and and pausing for a moment to recognize her energy, her temperament, and her personality and how to best craft a practice that aligned with her energy instead of trying to fit into this box of what we presume therapists need to be, which is saying yes to everybody, working all the time, you know, having horrific boundaries. And so I really love this program because over the course of our time together, we will get into why you have bought into those beliefs that 
to be a good therapist, you have to be saying yes to everybody and you have to be DIYing things and you have to be pushing the boulder up the hill, so to speak, so that you can really prove that you are a therapist who cares. And I want to invite you to reframe those thoughts, to examine those beliefs with curiosity so that you can craft a sustainable practice, not just from the money aspect, but of course that's important, but from your unique energetic perspective and what works best for you. So if you are ready to learn how to feel comfortable and confident and aligned in your practice, this group coaching program will first take you through rewriting those money stories, then we'll shift into what numbers you actually need to be bringing into your practice so you don't just feel like you're throwing spaghetti at the walls and trying to be all the places at once and trying to fill your practice with people that you're sliding your scale for when it's not financially sustainable for you, right? Financial sustainability is self-care. Financial wellness is self-care. So we'll get into the money mindset. Then we'll get into the actual numbers, including what number you need to be charging your clients, including what numbers you need to be tracking in your business to know which of your marketing efforts are working. And then, and only then, do we get into how can you niche down? How can you find a way to call in the exact clients that you are called to serve that light you up, that don't sap you of your energy? And how can you create a marketing plan only in alignment with your niche and only in alignment with your energetic needs. You know, I'm not going to tell you in order to grow your practice, you need to be in 35 Facebook groups, constantly commenting to people on how they can work with you. I'm not going to tell you, you need to go live on Instagram five times a day for 30 days to get results. I don't believe in that. Not that I don't believe in marketing. Technically, I'm doing it right now. I do believe in marketing, but I believe in marketing that has to be aligned with you. And if you are like Stephanie and you're an HSP, then showing up in all the places at all the time is a recipe for burning yourself out. Now, if you're an extrovert and you love showing up on video and that feels really comfortable for you, cool, let's go ahead and do that. But I want for you to really think about the why before you chase those shiny marketing Object. So if that sounds like you, I encourage you to apply. Go to mindmoneybalance.com slash profitable practice. Applications for this round are due on Wednesday, April 28th, 2021. And we kick off that following Monday on May 3rd. All of the information about the program is included at mindmoneybalance.com slash profitable practice. Everything from what the schedule is like, what the format is like, how you can expect to get in touch with me, how many hours I anticipate that you need to invest in order to get a good outcome, what is included. So it's not only group coaching, but it's a beautiful and hardworking pre-designed website by my friend Monica at Holdspace Creative that uh, her pre-designed website template is the template that I used. I use the Andrea template and every single person who joins Grow a Profitable Practice from the inside out will get a beautiful and hardworking website that can act as your 24 seven assistant so that when clients are searching for an anxiety therapist in Illinois, your work comes up or when they're searching for a parenting therapist in New York, your website will come up. So again, I encourage you to apply. And if you have questions about it, all of the information is there, including how to get in contact with me. If there's something I left out, I'm a Virgo. I'm pretty thorough. So I feel like I've answered them all, but of course that is always an option. All right. Now on to the takeaways with my conversation with 
Stephanie. Number one, how people pleasing can impact your relationship with money. Stephanie said that for her, people pleasing really was reinforced in the field of social work by being primed to work in low paying jobs, being primed to serve as many people as possible, being primed to overfill her schedule as a way to say, I'm a good person. I will ensure that I help everybody who comes my way. But what she found was that doing this overloaded her nervous system and really not only made her feel emotionally unwell, but physically unwell. So I want for you to consider how is people pleasing harming your relationship with money? Are you having a hard time setting financial boundaries with your parents? Maybe you're in the sandwich generation and you're struggling how to balance people pleasing with your adult, with your aging parents and with your children who are getting older. Maybe you are a young professional and people pleasing right now financially looks like saying yes to safely social distance hangouts, but it means also spending money. So consider how people pleasing is harming your relationship with money. And I encourage you to get curious about what you can do to dial down that, that reaction, that reflex. The second takeaway from my conversation with Stephanie was practicing self-compassion, especially when you make a money mistake. So she shared how over the course of, you know, at least the last five years, how she's been really getting comfortable, being kind to herself, acknowledging the reasons why she might have made a money mistake and forgiving herself and moving forward. So I want for you to also consider how can you practice self-compassion in your relationship with money? If you had, you know, set a really big goal of saving $10,000 in an emergency fund and, you know, we're, we're four months into the year and you're going, oh my gosh, 10K might've been a little overzealous. Maybe you can practice some self-compassion and say, hey, you know what? I've made good strides, but maybe I need to dial down that number that I had set for myself to 5,000 and create that stair step of a goal so you can still work towards that $10,000 emergency fund but maybe decreasing that first stair step and saying, I'm going to work towards saving 5,000 first can help you to practice that self-compassion. Takeaway number three from my conversation with Stephanie was automation. She shared how automating some of her financial things helped her to simplify the emotional load of money management. Again, as an HSP, the more that it sounds like I'm not an expert in HSPs, but I've learned from knowing Stephanie and following Stephanie over, you know, the last almost year now, I have learned from her that what HSPs do is they take on so much of the external world. So they really soak up all of the ways in which we process things and it almost overwhelms them at a sensory processing level. So for HSPs and for all folks, automating their money can take one more thing off of their plate. So whether it's automating saving, automating investing, automating your bill pay, I'd encourage you to take a look at your money and see if you have any systems in place that can do some of the heavy lifting for you automatically. Now, if you want to follow Stephanie, I know she already mentioned it, but I will share it again. You can find her at Stephanie Gardner Wright on TikTok or on Instagram, and you can find her at stephaniegardnerwright.com. And with that, I'll see you next week. Neither the host or guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, medical, or other professional information. If you want professional help, please seek it out.